Hey everybody, welcome to the Midcurve Podcast, your weekly take on the world of crypto, DeFi, NFTs specifically. Um, we are here as a group of investors, traders, uh, semi-degenerates, and people with kind of interesting backgrounds in the space. Obviously, it's a very big, crazy uh, <laughs> news cycle weekend. Um, we have a story that has gone from uh, uh, TradFi to crypto to DeFi to, to you know to essentially front page news. Um, but before we get into that, we always like to meet uh, our panel quickly. Um, I'm going to go around the horn, and then we're going to introduce a special guest. Uh, Eric, why don't you start? Give us the very quick background on who you are and what you uh, do. Hey guys, uh, it's Eric, uh, former TradFi uh, asshole, now full time NFT degenerate. Great. That's perfect. Uh, Grant Lamb, what about you? What about you, Grant? Uh, hey, everyone. This is Grant. Uh, I come from the traditional consulting world. Uh, in 2021, uh, videos of basketball highlights uh, lured me into this weird space called crypto. Uh, and now it's just traumatizing event after traumatizing event. So thanks for that, Groham. <laughs> That's a wonderful uh, top shot onboarding story. Okay, uh, Salty, you want to do a quick intro of yourself? Sure, I'm salty. I uh, faded ETH when Vitalik introduced it, and now I design engineered biological systems. And eventually I realized that uh, people degening NFTs and tokens is just a giant engineered biological system. So I decided to apply what I know to this space. Wow, that's actually much more interesting than I've heard you say in the past. At some point, we're going to have to dig into that. Uh, my uh, my name is Funky Donk. I also my real name is Gavin Purcell. Um, I am a media person. Fell into this space through a variety of different uh, pathways. One of which was a a, a, a BNB uh, rug that got me addicted to the idea of what these things could be. Um, but I'm now pretty deep in a bunch of things, in, including uh, a, a, just a shitload of NFTs. So. Um, and we have a special guest this week. Uh, our special guest is Giancarlo. Giancarlo, I, what is your last name? Tell me your full name because I realize I, own, I know you as Giancarlo. What is it? Show. C-H-A-U-X. Show. Yeah, show. That's right. Giancarlo Show. Um, Giancarlo, give everybody in our audience a little basic intro on you and some of your background. I think probably quite a few people know you as the founder of Midnight Labs, but, but what else? You guys have some great intros, by the way. Those were like some haikus. I don't know how I'm going to follow up that, but um, yeah, so my name is Giancarlo. Uh, I make videos about NFTs. I now write a newsletter about NFTs. I just do a lot of thinking and talking, bullshitting about NFTs. I also sometimes release NFTs. Um, yeah, the one you mentioned, Midnight Labs, that, that's a, a, a private community, uh, token gated community, but I've also done um, just you know a couple other drops. And uh, yeah, before this, I was a stock analyst originally covering gaming. Uh, then I worked at another startup doing research on gaming. So prior to NFTs, you know, I, I've been already sort of researching and, and thinking about digital assets and people kind of uh, spending money on things that only exist on, on the Internet. Great. Yeah, I think I, I want to talk at one point a little bit later on about uh, private discords or token gated uh, discord groups, because I think obviously... Um, if you probably know out there, if you're listening to this, um, and also hello, Grant's mom. We've talked about Grant's mom is a big fan of the podcast. So hi, Grant's mom. Uh, I, I think the interesting thing conversation around this can be is like what kind of what can come out of private discords and what can come out of uh, smaller discords rather than um, giant project based discords. And I think that's a good conversation to have. But 
before we do that, we are actually going to skip our normal intro because there is a pretty significant story going on right now. Uh, we are yet again at another uh, inflection point in the world of, let's call it crypto, but also kind of in the world of the general traditional economy right now. Um, for those of you who, uh, I guess, are stuck in a well this week, uh, a Silicon Valley bank uh, has essentially failed um, and is now, uh, I, I'm not going to use the technical terms, I'm going to turn to somebody like Eric who can explain this better, but it, essentially the 18th largest bank in America has has gone under. And this is a bank that had a ton of exposure um, to a lot of start the startup economy because it's where a lot of VCs and startups banked. And also, more specifically to the crypto world, had a lot of uh, exposure. Uh, Circle, the company that has backed USDC, has a ton of exposure to it as well. So USDC last night depegged. Um, so Eric, as somebody who kind of understands this probably much better than I do as a as an English major in the first place, do you want to like fill in the gaps of what I just said and kind of give people the basic story of what's happening right now? Yeah. So, um, so to give it like a, some context about SVB, you know. SVB was one of these regional banks that um, decided to hitch their wagons, uh, obviously by proximity to the burgeoning startup scene and, and grew to become a very large institution, um, primarily catering to startups. And, you know, so they, they, they were doing, and it was pretty well known that they were doing, I think, a lot of things that, that regular banks were not really, didn't really want to touch. Um, such as extending revolvers to early stage startups, lending to founders using their stock as collateral, you know, underwriting mortgages for high net worth uh, Silicon Valley individuals. Um, and and so, you know, that was uh, that was great, I think, during the sort of the, the go-go era of from, let's say, like 2010 to 2022. Um, when you had relatively easy monetary policy, startups could go out and get a lot of funding. Uh, it's very easy for some someone like SCV who, who you know catered to that to that ecosystem to to grow the deposits. Um, obviously, you know, twenty twenty two was kind of an inflection point with higher interest rates. Uh, all of a sudden, the the cash you know burning startups that they were um, that were their depositors couldn't raise new financing anymore. Uh, and you had this very aggressive reversal in, in deposit growth to deposit contractions. Um, the problem that created for SVB that, that basically led to this was, you know, they put, uh, what, what they were doing is they were putting all of the deposits into uh, the treasuries market to earn uh, yield, uh, but they top ticked the market when, you know, yields on those treasuries are at 1.5%. So now with interest rates north of three, uh, there's, you know, you basically a force holder to maturity because if you were to sell the, um, if you were to sell the T bills on the open market today, you would get a pretty significant discount to what you paid for, uh, and rack up losses, right? And when you're talking about all of a sudden like a balance of ten to tens of billions of dollars of T bills, um, the haircut is, is pretty significant. And I think like during when they disclose, um. You know, when when the press releases were rolling out, they actually disclosed that they they ended up selling twenty one billion dollars of treasuries to fund the hole, and that and that ended up causing them to incur like almost a two billion dollar loss, um, because they were just they had to mark those to market, um, when you know, and and it's just you know when interest rates go from one point five percent to three percent, it's just very very painful. 
Um, now what's happened is the regulators have, have basically seized the bank. Um, the FDIC is in the middle of working out next steps. Um, by Monday, all the FDIC insured deposits, which is up to $250,000, will be available. Uh, and it looks like they're going to announce that they're going to pay an advanced dividend um, to depositors for the non-FDIC insured amounts. There's a lot of information going back and forth from guys right now uh, about how much that would be. You know, some people are referencing like when 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 they did it was Fannie, that advanced dividend was about 50% upfront. Uh, but, you know, it's just, this is just sort of like, it's it's too probably too early to say this is systemic risk, but but what what's happening is this is a this is a byproduct of higher rates, uh, which which obviously has stopped that the tech growth sector um, flywheel dead in its tracks, uh, and now that virtual cycle is becoming a, a pretty vicious circle. And SVB because they really did not have great risk management processes in place. It, is this things accelerated very fast, got out of control, and all of a sudden, you know, you went from like a public going concern that had a market cap north of twenty billion dollars towards, well, you know, now the bank is in receivership, equity holders are basically going to get zero, uh, and it's a question of like what 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 are the deposit recoveries going to look like over the next couple of weeks? Right. So it's it's definitely something that that is evolving fast, right? Like I think that's one thing we can all agree on that like. Especially when something like this, you know, kind of really goes down in a big way on a Friday, the weekends are always like kind of both chicken littling, but also like people really trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. Um, I, I, you know, Grant, I think you might be somebody to ask kind of about this, about the um, circle part of this and how it's affected USDC and, and kind of what's going on in the USDC world and, and what happened there. Do you think you can fill us in on kind of the background on that side? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'll let Eric wax poetic on, on the technicals and the timeline here, but it's just, uh, as it always is in big tech and, and crypto and likely other industries that I'm not qualified to talk on as well, it's it's social proof and social consensus, right? So while, you know, under 10% of, of their liquid assets are, are trapped on, on Silicon Valley, bank uh, and the rest of it might actually you know be t-bills um, that are already at maturity or you know in banks that are still open for business uh, the fact of the matter is like you know no one wants to be the last out the door in, in a bank run right uh, no matter how solid the, the remaining 77 to 92 percent of your of your assets are uh, and I think that's what we saw uh, happened over the last 24 hours i mean it kind of went as low as 85 to 87 cents uh on chain uh and you know even on some reputable exchanges here um so it'll be kind of interesting i think on a macro level to figure out how uh the remaining solvent players uh in silicon valley and also uh how the government takes it right uh, because clearly this isn't uh, unlike other black swans uh, in the last 12 months or so. Clearly this isn't isolated uh, to crypto specifically. Uh, and it's more about the global liquidity pool uh, being growing tighter and tighter uh, as, as, um, as the macro situation work, works itself out. 
Uh, and it's kind of just a matter of, you know, who do you throw the life raft to uh, in this time of need, right? Um, strategically speaking, is it smart for you to let, uh, you know, hypothetically 40 to 50% of like high growth tech startups to, to die uh, when that's kind of been your calling card over the last 20 years? Like, that's why people uh, emigrate to your country, invest in your stock market. Uh, I guess we'll kind of see, right? To add on to that, what we're seeing right now is, is why it's illegal to yell fire in a crowded theater. Um, this is this is a demonstration of how much you know the underlying banking system is still really based on trust, and how when that trust goes away, it it's very very fragile, right? Because because what what like you could pin the one of the major catalysts on this run, uh, you know, to basically Peter Thiel telling all of his startups to withdraw yeah. their money from SVB, uh, which kicked off a push for um a withdrawals that I think racked up to like forty two billion dollars. Um, you know, in, in any like any banking institution in the in the in the U.S. or pretty much anywhere in the developed economy, if all of a sudden everyone decided that hey, we wanted our money back, uh, and tried to withdraw all of the money at once, every single bank would fail just, just because just you know because we operate on a fractional reserve system. Um, and yep. so so there 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 are controls in place that you know where where banks have to reserve a certain degree of uh, a certain amount of capital to facilitate um you know an orderly uh orderly withdrawal process but at the end of the day like this is this is this is how the system is designed to work all right uh and and what what you know what ended up happening to to svb and i think what could happen to further banks if 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 this is not contained is it, really like you have a major dis duration mismatch in your in your uh you know in your treasury holdings versus where um uh, and, and like the amount of deposit you have to facilitate in your term, uh, you then have to sell down those treasuries, which you probably bought when you go for a low for a big loss. That in that as a result blows a hole in your balance sheet that you will have to you will have to fill by finding additional capital, right? Like what you know, SCB was trying to do this because they announced that hey, we're gonna raise, we're gonna try to raise five point eight one, like almost two billion dollars of equity in the public market. Uh, and then their stock went down 60% and it would trend it down like another 60% in the pre-market on Friday morning, which is basically the market's way of saying, well, we don't want to buy your stock. Uh, and then, so that kicked off the discussion around finding a potential buyer. No one wanted to step, uh, step um, in in time. And as a result, you know, regulators are basically saying, well, like, that's it. Uh, we're, 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 we're calling it. Um, so, right. you know, now we're going through the receivership process. You could still theoretically see a buyer step in to take over the business, um, but you know it, this is it's that's really really not guaranteed. So I think like the base case is okay. Let the FDIC do its thing. How much is going to be made liquid uh, upfront to allow a lot of these startups and VCs to kind of make their commitments and payroll. Uh, how much of it is going to be more of a gradual process where you have a claim, um, you know, the, the loan book has to be unwound and liquidated to make whole on that claim. And maybe this is where like that secondary market arbitrage opportunity arises where a lot of these distressed funds like Falco's or Oak Tree go around buying up claims that maybe like 80, 90 cents of a dollar uh, and they make that arc. 
Yeah, it, it's interesting because okay, there's a couple of things I want to get into here. One before we before we jump in further on the financial side of it, actually, Salty, I have a question for you, and this is just something that I think is a good table setter for people who may not be as deep into this world as some people. Um, you know, USDC it, people in the space consider a stable coin, which which you know I think is a good maybe Salty, you can give us a definition of kind of what a stable coin is, and then if you can, as somebody who knows tokenomics relatively well, give us the like explain it like I'm five version of how a stable coin, something that's supposed to be peg, pegged to the U.S. dollar, um, becomes unstable in this situation. Oh, I'm I'm glad you asked me about that because uh, when you said uh, earlier that it was depegged, I I I wanted to talk about that language a little bit because I think um, <clears throat> I think this can be confusing, uh, especially because most of the stable coins we talk about have a peg, and when we say a peg, we say how much are they worth relative to a dollar. But we don't really mean a dollar; we really mean relative to USDT or USDC. So in, in a very real sense, USDC is the peg, or USDT is, because USDT has been around a lot longer and, and is uh, people outside the U.S. Uh, like it a lot more. But um, everyone who's not USDC or USDT, uh, and, and, and so, yeah, so we talked about, uh, you know, pegging with like things like Terra, UST, you know, th that collapsed because it wasn't backed by a dollar. You have these Stables, just briefly, there's stables that are backed by actual assets that you ostensibly can can cash out that, that stable coin for the asset that backs it, a dollar or dollar equivalent. You have ones that aren't backed by dollars or dollars equivalents. So um, every stable coin uh, has to maintain or defend their peg on chain and in the markets that are off chain. That maintenance of that peg is keeping it equal to one USDC or one USDT or one USD. Uh, but a lot of these aren't traded on exchanges where you can get it into one USD. So Frax, DAI, uh, LUSD, uh, EAN back in the day. Uh, I don't know about how BUSD does this. Uh, I'm not sure how much peg maintenance they do, but these, these, uh, these non-USDT, USDC stables, they work. They, they do a lot of work to, to incentivize liquidity into pools to keep them at close to one-to-one -one parity with something else that is worth a dollar. Uh, USDC doesn't do that. You know, USDC is not spending a bunch of money on bribes or tokens or incentives to keep the on-chain price of their token a dollar. All the things that keep it a dollar that you're trading USDC for are exogenous. It's not like Circle is going out there and bribing liquidity pools. So God, I wish see... it would. Maybe they will <laughs> after this. <laughs> well, no, but they don't need to. See, that's the thing. So, so the US USDC is not pegged to a dollar. It's not. It, it is redeemable for a dollar. So, if the market loses confidence that they can do that redemption, then the price will change on chain and in these off-chain order books. That's all that's happening here. USDC is not pegged to a dollar. USDT is not pegged to a dollar. That that terminology is very confusing because it's inaccurate. It's just worth a dollar, allegedly. If you don't think it's worth a dollar, that you can trade it for a dollar or dollar equivalent at an actual place off-chain, then you're not going to pay $1 for it. And then all the other stables in the world, they work very hard to be actually pegged. 
on chain through complex arbitration mechanism arbitrage mechanisms they work very hard to be pegged to the value of usdc and usdt assuming that usdc and usdt are themselves redeemable for a dollar so usdc has not de-pegged because there is no peg uh, usdc is just trading at a at a, a, a negative premium because there's some lack of confidence in the ability to redeem it i don't I don't see any reason to believe it's not going to be redeemable for a dollar. Uh, so it seems like an easy arbitrage, uh, but we don't know what will happen Monday. And U.S. and Coinbase did halt its, you know, swapping uh, because they don't have all that cash just sitting on hand, especially over a weekend. But that's just Coinbase. Oh, GUSD is another example of this. That like you as a person can have this with GUSD is is Gemini's dollar. If you own GUSD and you send it to Gemini, no matter what the on-chain price is, you always get a dollar from Gemini. That's how uh, uh, USDC should be. But most people don't have accounts with Circle where they can go to Circle directly. No. So here's my question about Circle, and this is the thing I think I would like clarity on is that supposedly Circle has, and this, again, this is, I always say this to everybody, Giancarlo will appreciate this as the, as the kind of English major of the group. My job here is to kind of like unpack this shit and try to make sure I understand it because all three, all the other three of these guys are very smart. Uh, uh, I think, Salty, my question is, I saw a story that Circle had 25% of the liquidity in USDC at SVB. And is that part of the reason why this is happening? And, and then technically, is the if if say that money is unrecoverable does s does does usdc then have like a value of 75 cents literally because 25 percent of the money is wiped out or like what's the background on that side of it uh yes aside from the details that's the kind of math at least crypto twitter people are doing right yeah do that math and then say that's what a usdc is worth is like there's in my mind, you know, there's all this stuff going on in the macro world that Eric and Grant can talk about so fluently. And then there's all this stuff going on with, you know, Circle themselves, and we don't know all the details. And then there's all this stuff going on on chain and in, in these uh, uh, exchanges order books. And those are those are connected, but they're separate things. And so in my mind, there's there's only two scenarios. You can redeem a USDC for $1 or you can't. No, I and maybe there's something where you redeem it for 75 cents, but I've I've never seen Circle propose or allude or say that they would do anything like that. So if the money's there, it's redeemable, and if it's not, it's not. And then there's a regulatory like question with stuff. But um, I don't know. I think this is what we're really seeing is it's just that the price of USDC on chain is totally up to people and their confidence trying to arbitrage it. Circle does not maintain that price. They they don't actively defend that price. And so it's just able to market actors. The specific amount is $3.3 billion, right? Which if you wiped out theoretically on the on the latest numbers would probably mean like 0. 0.91 to 0.92 cents for USDC in, in terms of what's quote unquote back or redeemable. Um, but the tricky part of this right now is I, I think to make that work, they actually have to halt redemptions, which is what I'm hearing that they've done because um, Circle you know, uh, has halted redemptions. Circle apparently has is halting redemptions and where they're not they're not they're pausing them um, because because it, this is where it's always negative EV to uh, it's always positive EV to to yank in a in a bank run. 
And and so the the I think the risk here is that, you know, if people say that see that oh like only ninety two cents is 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 back, everyone it, who can redeem is going to redeem, and then a bigger that that three point three billion dollars that's not you know we, that we that we don't have great visibility into on the recoveries becomes a bigger to bigger portion of of the of the, of the residual deposit base. Um, and so that that's really like the risk that that I think that's one of the reasons that they pause redemptions, because like if Circle went from like $40 billion to $20 billion overnight, right, all of a sudden, like the the, uh, the backed amount goes from like 92 cents to like 80 cents. And, and it just becomes a very vicious like spiral. Um, and, and, you know, usually that's that's how that's why bank runs are so bad. And I think we have what we saw overnight was a just a insanely terrible PR job by by the circle team and the fact that we didn't hear from Jeremy at all uh, oh. did you like throw your phone into the ocean or something and the second point is like speculation right when when there's no one communicating to you and no one is actively defending the peg people assume the worst right so when you look at the overall numbers like zoom out like Zoom out at the highest level out of forty-two billion dollars, uh, of which is supposed to be redeemed, uh, thirty-four are in short-term T-bills, like four months or less. That that's how I would define it, right? So people were, I think, thinking, what's the worst case here? That every single bank uh, outside of SVB that uh, Circle has has money in goes under, right? And obviously, we're talking endgame worst-case scenario there, and that would put us at seventy-seven cents on the dollar. Which is, I think, why we went as low as like eighty-five to eighty-seven overnight, and it's just—I don't know how you can excuse this kind of thing, right? Like, you you don't work Monday to Friday in in crypto. You can't. Yep, I think actually this is a good uh, question for Giancarlo as well, because I think one of the things this gets at is the psychology of markets, right? And like, and and I think it's interesting to to ask you, Giancarlo, somebody who like kind of manages. You know, a pretty large community online, but also kind of like you know trying to figure out how you uh, tackle the question of this. Like, do you have? I mean, just as a personal question, like, what's your take on this? But also, like, you know, when you're in the in, in charge of a community, like, do you feel some responsibility to tell people about like better ways to behave during this time. Obviously, there's people in the space who are very new to stuff, and there's people who have been doing it for a long time. Like, how do you deal with communicating out like real information in, in times like this? Um, well, communicating real information, I, I don't know. I, I feel like everybody, you know, our, our, the Discord that I'm in, uh, it tends to be people that are pretty plugged in already uh, and are on Twitter doom scrolling. Um, and so, you know, sometimes I highlight certain tweets that, that might be relevant, but I, I'm sure the information is flowing pretty, pretty quickly. Um, you know, and, and also it, we, a couple of days ago, we had like kind of like a venting session where everyone, you know, just... Because you think of the past 12 months, there's been just a series of these episodes. Um, and I think a lot of people would have preferred just like a nuke to zero and then a rebuild than, than what we had, where it's like two weeks of peace, one week of crisis on and off. Um, and so, you know, part of it is people are getting a little numb, but they're also just like super frustrated that it's, whenever we, if it looks like we're out of the, the woods, there's, there's some clawback. Um, and so we were just like venting, like everyone was just talking about like the things that they, that they hate. <laughs> uh, but, but in terms of market psychology, you know, the one, one thing I'll, I'll add to this, cause I, I don't, I don't have anything too, um, uh, smart to say on, on the, like the high finance machinations of what you guys are talking about. But one thing I noticed was, uh, you know, I went to, to 
blur today and I just saw a bunch of red, right? Like all the NFTs are down as well, um, some 20% or more. And it's just always funny to me and, and kind of sad how, how like something that happens is like some regional bank in, in California flows through to like, the, you know, this crisis with the stable coin um, and then leads to somebody just like not wanting a crypto dick butt anymore. It's just like the demand drops for some <laughs> random, <laughs> random meme. And, and that's just like a sign of, you know, how much overlap the NFT space still has with people who are uh, crypto traders, who are you know, into DeFi, who are, um, you know, j just unrelated completely to the arts and creativity and everything. Like, I, like, I don't think Roblox demand dropped today, for example. You know, like, I don't think people are buying less V-Bucks on Fortnite, uh, but they are buying, you know, fewer crypto memes. And that kind of sucks because it also pauses what's happening in the NFTs uh, because, you know, now founders are going to delay announcements for projects or they might delay um, their drops completely just because the mood is so bad and, and it's hard to compete for attention. Um, and then, you know, just onlookers are going to say like, oh, this space is, is unstable because every time there's this, this you know, financial crisis somewhere, it, it just flows through into the space like without any friction whatsoever. The whales just, just immediately dump memes. Um, and so that kind of sucks because it, it definitely, you know, I think in the future it'll change once we have products that are actually bringing uh, people with, you know, that actually have like consumer demand for these things as opposed to just looking at them maybe as shit coins or, or just another extension of their portfolio. Uh, we're not there yet. And so it really is like at the, at the mercy of whatever is happening in, in finance. Um, but I'm just looking forward to that because this, this is like a huge distraction. Like it's not it's not relevant to 99% of, of people, at least, you know, we're, we're never going to fully decouple. Like we, this is an, an interconnected economy, but it definitely feels like there's an, you know, a huge overlap that probably shouldn't exist here. I don't know. That's my sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. We talk a lot about that idea of like the trader dominated world of NFTs and and how like there is this big crossover. And I think obviously, you know, when you look at the risk factor, when you just think of NFTs as investments, they're on the far, you know, right side of risk. Um, and it's interesting to see how like there's a different version of contagion, right? Which is like almost like trickle down contagion, which it's like psychological contagion and people get freaked out by it. And I think, you know, the other side of it, which always is interesting to me about the NFT market is you've got a lot of kind of like people who got into this space who weren't traders before, who now kind of believe that they are traders. And instead of being smart traders, they, they tend to panic. So I think you see a lot of panic in times like this, which is, is kind of scary as well. Um, well, Eric, I want to go back to you real quick, um, just because obviously this is the big thing before we, before we move into any, anything else today. Like, where do you see this going this week? Like, I mean, is there a, is there a prescriptive thing we can tell people that you think is going to happen? Like, Obviously, bank runs are bad. I think we can all agree with that. Do you think the government's going to step in here? I know, like David Sachs, like the guy, you know, the guy who's essentially the 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 uh, champion of of decentralization, or or you know, from from uh, uh, the VC has called for the government to step in. Do you think that's going to happen here? Yeah, like uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I, it's just funny because because all of these all of these libertarian VC dudes went from having like. The fountainhead fucking strapped to their foreheads to 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 <laughs> holding like the little red book, uh, exactly. Like in, exactly. In, in in the course of like eight hours, right? Um, but 
Yeah, I like you know the government hasn't fixed this, right? Like, um, and I, I look, I I do think that the government will step in here. Uh, I I do not think that they're completely like of you know just unaware of the fact that if they don't do anything, it's just going to be really really ugly for the tech sector. Um, and this is obviously also not how you want to cool inflation. Uh, yeah. so, so I, I think like by tomorrow or Monday, I think you're going to have a bunch of announcements from the FDIC on next steps. Um, it's going to create, I think that in itself, I think will 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 us, um, will calm some very frayed nerves about how companies get financing and make payroll. Uh, and do all sort of the critical things that they need to do for business continuity. Um, but then, like, you know, it, it, my view is that you're, you're going to be able to get some money out. The rest of it will will be a process that could take, you know, some matter of like weeks to months. Um, but but overall, like we have, um, I think, a relatively durable regulatory framework for for how to manage these liquidations, especially post the financial crisis. Um, and I, I think overall, broadly speaking, most people will be made whole. Well, with that being said, um, I do think like Circle is going to face some impairment in their business post all of this because one, like, you know, everyone has looted, like it just the PR response has been fucking atrocious. What do you know? It's another terrible PR response from the crypto NFT business. Who knew? Yeah, you would think for a business that I think up until this point was probably one of the few remaining decacorns in this yeah. space. Um, you know, there would be some incentive to, to come out and say, hey, like, this is going to be okay. We're going to remain sort of the reserve stable coin uh, of note in crypto. Um, and, you know, please trust us. But instead, like, we, we've gotten none of it, right? And and it, it, it's a little infuriating because the reason Circle was raising most recently at like a $9 billion plus valuation was because it, right now it's actually a very, very profitable business like they were earning three percent plus on those deposit on that 42 billion dollars of deposits you know across like their, their basically the treasury's portfolio so this business was clocking in like north of a, a billion dollars a year um right like there's and we talk about like real real, real yield profitability in like web3 like i think circle was one of the few businesses that that actually had it um, and now because of what's happening, I think at the very least, like you're going to see some shrinkage of the USDC float. You're going to see some distrust built into USDC. And, and that's just going to really like in, at least in the near to medium term, probably impair like how that business grows, um, which is a shame. How is it always that these money printer businesses like just fumble the bag so hard? It's like circle is just a money printer and they're just like. Uh, I mean, you guys defend the pet. We're not. We're not putting money on chain. I mean, you you guys decide if it's worth a dollar or not. Like, just no tweets. No, no. I mean, it's a money printer. All they, it's credible. It's like the more profit, the more easily they make, the the less competent things become. It's our, our guy Jeremy hasn't tweeted, but he has retweeted uh, Bill Ackman, uh, basically begging for a bailout from the government. So he's retweeting the guy who said, "I think SBS yes. is telling the truth." Yes. Oh, yes. God. <laughs> lovely uh oh my god that's crazy well actually salty i have one more question for you before we move on so like there's been people online who have said like you know this is why bitcoin was created right for for things like this like this obviously you know the the uh the bitcoin maxis or the people who came into bitcoin through the financial crisis of 2008 are kind of seeing echoes in this i don't know do you see 
do you see like Bitcoin or, you know, other kind of like pure crypto uh, tokens as like this a positive for them? Or is this just it's just a negative across the board because of, of how the system works? Uh, I, I mean, the, the real answer to that, you, I mean, time will tell because um, everything's so up in the air just in the next couple of days. But I do think. Uh, I mean, I'm not in all the private chats, but even GCR talking about this is what Bitcoin is for. Like, um, yeah, I mean, th this is a real consideration. Like, imagine, okay, you're not a full normie, but, you know, you're a person like us. And it's like, oh, uh, you know, the, the stable coins I thought were stable are still risk assets to some extent. Bonds are definitely risk assets, uh, as these banks are showing. Maybe there's contagion risk you can't you can't there's no like good bank out there that actually holds your money right you're just becoming a bank's creditor when you deposit money and that kind of world yeah i mean you look at eth and bitcoin you're like wow these are these are truly inimitable unique assets like if i hold bitcoin it's the, like one of a very small number of assets i can actually just hold no trust no, no being a creditor no bailouts no nothing i mean I don't think that narrative is ever going to fully, fully supplant like the global banking system. Like some maxis you know, want to happen, and maybe it's not good that it does because we need high velocity of money and rehypothecation and stuff. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you even if you get everything cashed out and you put it in a bank, what do you own? You own uh, uh, you're a creditor to the bank. You own some debt, and you hope, by God, that that bank will pay you back when you ask for your money back. I think people, when they wake up to that, are like, oh, I'd like to own stuff that isn't like that. So if I could, I would put my money in a bank that promised to hold it as just cash, hold it as real actual cash, and not lend it out, If and they, they don't have to pay me any APR on it. Can't get that bank, though, so I have crypto instead. <laughs> that's really interesting. Actually, that's an interesting thing. Like, It's not a business then, right? It's almost like a, a weird thing, and it becomes something totally different. Stable points themselves are, are kind of this manifestation of, of the linkage between Web3 and the traditional finance world. Right? And, and this is, you know, as long as you, you as long as stable coins exist, that, that's always going to be the case, right? And you, with USDC, you're actually seeing how pervasive this is because people are like, well, you know, I'll just swap to another stable coin. What are you going to swap to? Yeah. DAI is is mostly backed by USDC. Frax is heavily backed by USDC. Frax is like going to all USDC now. Yeah, like you, you, you're going to swap to USDT, which is basically the devil that you don't know. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, like as long as, as you kind of think about things in, in US dollar terms and you have these staple coins that approximate the value of a US dollar, like there's always going to be linkage to that traditional finance world. Um, and, you know, Salty is right, like to, to actually sever that linkage, you have to kind of think about ETH and Bitcoin as the as the sort of the stable reserve currency of of the internet, um, you know, and these are truly decentralized, censorship res resistant uh, currencies that that aren't subject to to the monetary policies. Well, in theory, any of the monetary policies of, of a sovereign of a sovereign government, right? But you know, that's that's some ways off because unfortunately, you cannot pay your mortgage or your bills with with Ethereum tokens yet. Yeah. Um, I have tried with Comet. They have not played well. <laughs> and they, um, oh, that linkage is there. And, and, uh, oh, like, yeah, we're all going to need dollars for the foreseeable future. Like you said, you can't spend ETH and Bitcoin with frictionlessly. And I think that's okay. And, and, you know, what's here, though, is, um, 
It's like if you could buy, if people could buy uh, a gold dollar that was backed by gold, a lot of people would do that because the gold would would actually be there, let's say. And, and with Bitcoin and ETH, we have that. Uh, I forget what the name of the Bitcoin project was, but there was a Bitcoin-backed stablecoin. I think it still exists. On Ethereum, you have LUSD, you have MIM, and you have Beanstalk, God rest their souls. And you have some other projects where you can get a dollar. Now, of course, none of these have perfectly lasted long term, so there's risk here too. But but that 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 uh, is a very valuable thing, you know, in theory. And I think in practice is it's worth a dollar, but it's backed by an asset that doesn't have bailouts, that no government can stop, that that's uncensorable. That's Unique. Where else does that exist? You know, Euro dollars are backed by bonds. You can't buy a gold-backed dollar. You know, it, it's it's a very unique value proposition because you still want dollars to to buy food, but you don't want them backed by made-up debts that the government can make appear and disappear at their whim. Right. Okay. Well, this is this is all fascinating. Obviously, this story is changing very quickly by the hour. Really. Um, before we move on, because I do want to get, I do want to get to Giancarlo and get, dig a little bit deeper on his stuff. Does anybody have any last words on this they want to get out? Yeah, I'd just like to thank Pac-Man for doing this to us. Uh, clearly, learning <laughs> <laughs> NFT market so just created this domino effect that caused the yeah the the end of banking really in 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 America. So thanks. Hashtag blur's fault. Get that trending, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, let's move on. So Giancarlo. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about like kind of um, a little bit more about kind of your 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 background and then also kind of like what caused you to create uh, Midnight Labs, which I, I do want to talk a little bit about as like kind of like a small, smaller discord that is not necessarily PF. It's not PFP based, but it's not like built around a, um, a project that is like a big public thing that that had a big launch. It's, it's a, a smaller rollout. Like what was the what was the kind of idea behind Midnight Labs in the beginning? Yeah, so I guess uh, on, on my background and why that might relate to this. Um, yeah, so I, as I mentioned, you know, I spent a lot of time uh, in my career just kind of thinking about digital assets and, and following this like trend uh, and this movement towards the internet and just spending more time online. And in gaming, that you know, when when I started covering gaming, that was really visible when it went from like the physical world. You know, you go to Best Buy, you buy like these discs for sixty dollars, and that was kind of the end of the relationship to you know, most of the value now coming from like V-Bucks and, and season passes and all these uh, digital assets. And, you know, we're seeing just now the next evolution of that with, I think, NFTs and and, and just crypto in general. And, and it's just going to keep going, right? Like it, every year, I think we're gonna, it's going to be more than the prior year uh, in terms of time spent online. Uh, you know, there's some people that, that, that say that maybe AI will make the internet sort of unusable. I, I, I don't know that, but that could maybe reverse. But uh, aside from any like weird uh, black swan event like that, you know, this, this is just going to be this predictable linear curve. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're all going to be spending on time online and we're, and we're interacting all the time. Uh, but that's one of the key things that we're looking for is sort, sort of connection and interaction and social media, I guess, um, satisfies some of what we're looking for, where there is interaction, there is, uh, you know, we're, we're exchanging ideas and information but you don't normally get the connection from social media that that you you'd probably want, um, and so you know that that then leads to maybe having these private groups uh, and having uh, these potentially token tokenized communities being like one of the the leading things that we're spending time on online. 
Um, and so, you know, Web3 started that with the PFP groups, I think. You know, that was like the first big wave of tokenized communities um, where you would have something like a Board Ape Yacht Club that acts as like a, an access pass into this private community. And, and that's supposed to be, you know, like this new paradigm shift. The problem with that was that, you know, it, it, bringing 5,000 people together in one day into the same Discord without any real like shared uh, common ground. It's a disaster. Or va- disaster. Uh, yeah, it just doesn't make any sense when you think about it. It's just like, okay, we're, why are we all here? Because we, we all like bored apes. I mean, it, it's, sort of, it's sort of dominant and it goes against everything that we know about how organizations work in the, in the real world. Like we figure this out over the past like thousand, 2000 years, right? It's like every organization has certain rituals and, and uh, filtering and, and ways to curate the community. And that was just like kind of non-existent in any of these profile pick uh, discords. And now if you go back to it, it was sort of predictable what was going to happen. And now, and now we see it where, you know, people were, were sort of all wag me in together when, when the press was going up. Once it went down, everyone left. And, and 99% of these discords that were popping, you know, a year ago are now ghost towns. Um, there's just like a loan and that discord announcement every now and then and, and a couple couple people responding. Uh, and so when I started Midnight Labs, um, it was sort of before the application meta. So we, I think we were one of the first, if not the first, to, to do applications. But I was like, okay, we have to filter somehow. Uh, and so, you know, the application was just, uh, you had to hold one of like, it was like a long list of NFTs. You just had to hold one of them just to make sure you weren't like a bot um, and, and that you were somewhat serious as a collector. And then we would just go through, uh, you know, people's Twitters and all, all these like, you know, not really doxing, uh, but just what is your presence online? Uh, and then we, we just try to curate this community uh, month by month because how we do it is, is, is through cohorts. Um, and I think that's super key for building a culture within a community. You know, you can't just have people come in in, in one shot. Uh, I was sort of learning and, or, or, and someone inspired by nouns, which, which is one a day. Uh, and it was very cool to see like, you know, every, every, every day in the Discord, you would see the new person come in and be like, hey, like I'm the new noun. And I, and I really liked that. And I wanted to have that same sort of uh, excitement uh, and bring that into, you know, what we were building with Midnight Labs. And so I do think like every month when a new cohort comes in, it's fun. It like re- reinvigorates the community. It's like, oh, we have new, like new friends here. Um, and it doesn't destabilize the, the culture too much because we have been building this over almost a year now. I think we're coming up in a year. Um, and I think that's that there's no way around that. There's no shortcut unless you have like a very, very specific interest-based community where you know the people that are coming in are already aligned in, in some way through that, it's very difficult to, to shortcut, you know, just the, the, the slow buildup build up of a culture. Um, and then there was like a couple other things we did, like, like it was free. Uh, we didn't want people to have that, you know, customer uh relationship where they're just demanding things because they pay to get in so it, it's free everyone should act as a contributor and then we, we use tokens as a way to incentivize certain things that make the community better uh and so like you know you you, you get rewards if you do like presentations on, on things that people might care about or if you nominate other people that end up making it into a cohort so these like non-grindy discrete events that actually make the community better you get rewarded for that um and that seems to be one of the best reasons why we have a token um you know I, I i sometimes think about like why does a token exist that that's one of the main reasons why why it's still it's still relevant 
No, I, th I think one of the things that's really interesting to me about being in this, and, and I think just a quick disclosure, like I think me and Grantland and Eric are all in it. Uh, Salty, I don't know if you're in it. Or you're not, you're not in it labs, I don't think yet, right? Dude, you're really singling me out here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's oh, all right. I know. I'm the only one not. Yes. We should, we should have you be, we should, Salty, yeah, you should get it. You should apply for it because I think you'd be a good member of it. Uh, you sent me the application. Yeah, fill it out, fill it out. Uh, one of the things I think that's interesting, uh, uh, Giancarlo, to me is as somebody who's like not like an uber financially motivated trader that much anymore. I mean, not that I, I, I somewhat am, but like I love the idea of what you're doing with the rubies and the tokenomics because like it does allow some people to earn out something where they can like essentially do work and then make you know value because I think you you do allow people to sell um passes at some point there's a slight difference in that like uh but for me who's just like really happy to be part of the community like I don't necessarily have to I didn't have to pay to get in it was more like social capital to get in which is kind of a cool thing my question for you in some ways is you know how do you deal with the dynamic of people who do like kind of work for rubies eventually to sell a pass like do you ever have issues with people that come in to the to the project buying in rather than than people who are are kind of opted in like how do you deal with that back that balance so yeah the the two ways to get in is, is you either come in through a cohort and then earn enough uh, as we call them rubies is our internal currency uh to, to earn a token or you just buy one like off, off OpenSea or any secondary market um and the people who buy off of that i mean they they paid already some price to get in um but we still uh, do, don't give them like full access to all the Discord's benefits unless they go through a cohort in the future. Um, and so we right. still want them to go through that, like, you know, quote unquote bonding experience of being in a cohort. As part of the cohort, you know, there's like a bunch of like one on one, -on -one calls you, got, you have with, with other people in your cohort. You get to meet them. Um, and, you know, you can unlock the rest of the Discord by, by doing that. And so we, we still have them go through this kind of culture building uh, exercise. Um, and so I haven't really seen an issue from that. Uh, and in terms of like marketing, you know, we do very little marketing. I think I've tweeted like three times from the main Twitter. Um, and at the beginning, you know, that it was a little confusing why I was doing that. I, I didn't want to hype it up uh, too much. I didn't see the reason why I would do that. You know, I'm, I'm always confused why communities do that. It, it's all, all it does is it's going to pump the price temporarily and then now have a bunch of people who bought the top and are in there kind of frustrated uh, and and maybe poisoning the the uh, environment a bit. I have no idea why you would want that. Um, and so we don't do really any marketing. It, it all is word of mouth at this point. And and as the base of people in Midnight Labs grows, the number of nominations we get, because that's one of the main ways to earn a token is through nominations. The number of nominations just keeps growing every month, and we're still we're we're getting like increasingly uh, larger and better cohorts every single month because of the nom nominees that everyone's is, is giving us without any kind of marketing whatsoever, which I think is cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, Hey Grant, I have a question. So you were in, I think Midnight Labs significantly earlier than me. I'm, I'm kind of curious as like your experience in that space and, and seeing it grow and kind of like what your experience with Midnight Labs as a community is versus say other ones you've been in. Um, I think it's, Pretty simple and straightforward for me. Uh, I think I bumped into Giancarlo in in Cybercoms initially. Uh, I was looking for you know content creators who had like a good like level-headed view on things. Let's just say, uh, and this was while you know I, I was still on my full-time job, so I didn't have as much time to look at you know the future of finance and 
and one of one art and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, it always struck me as, as someone who had, you know, a balanced view of things and wasn't trying to pump his own bags. Uh, and, you know, I'm usually supportive of anyone uh, in this space as long as they're a, like, not hypocritical, uh, B, not a liar or a scammer, and C, just, you know, generally, uh, you know, so, yeah, someone with integrity and purpose. And I think Giancarlo perfectly fit, like, all of those um, buckets for me. Uh, and I think Minute Labs, uh, and I'm sure he would agree with me, is more, you know, a credit to uh, the people that are in there, right? Because they're they're the ones who are building cool things or, you know, bringing Intel to the table. Uh, and he's, you know, implicitly reaping the rewards without, you know, actually taking money from people, which is, you know, he's he's deemed it not necessary right now at the moment. And, and more importantly, it's just, you know, not the time to be monetizing your community or your fan base, uh, as, you know, as most people would would agree with. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, Giancarlo, one thing that's interesting about about um, what else you do is uh, is your experience working with YouTube. And, and I think that one of the things that I noticed when I first got into the space is how few people um, were, in Grant's words, like reasonable YouTubers around the NFT space. You saw a lot of people who were, you know, especially in the token space, you saw a lot of uh, YouTubers out there tracking tokens and hyping shit up. And, and in, the YouTube, in the NFT space, you saw it as well. And this kind of also permeates into the Twitter spaces world. Like, what, what, how do you approach making media about this stuff? Like, I think I always appreciate your, your YouTube videos and YouTube is a very specific place to make content. Like, what, what is your approach to making media and, and how do you kind of find that balance between like the audience that you know is going to want to see the stuff versus the audience you kind of want to expose yourself to? Yeah, you, you know, when I started on YouTube, I didn't know, like I never followed crypto YouTube before making videos and so i didn't know the reputation that it had yeah you didn't you didn't see all the crazy chart guys all that stuff before i never did i never would watch like bitcoin videos or anything like that but yeah it, it is quite a, quite a world um but yeah i i found out pretty quickly as i like started doing like i guess competitive research on other channels but then also just as i would tell people oh i'm making videos on this stuff and, and it'd be you know there'd be an instant uh you know baggage of uh, things that they would they, they would believe about me um, just based on that. But yeah, it basically I just like when I entered the space, I, I was like, okay, I want to I want to talk about this stuff. I want to make content and I want to build an audience because this is at the end of the day, it's an attention economy, uh, especially with NFTs. And so like you know, one of the most valuable things you can do is is just build an audience and, and get attention. That that is the highest currency I think. Like people spend insane amounts of money to get attention. Um, and so I was like, all right, I want to do that. But on Twitter, you know, there's a bunch of people on Twitter and on YouTube, there was, it was only like, uh, Maddie D DCL blogger making videos about NFTs. And, and he would, he would really just talk about metaverse land and, and the central land, which I, I never found interesting. So I was like, all right, you know, I'll start a channel and I'll talk about board apes just came out and V friends just came out like sort of like early 2021. Um, and that I kind of just rode, rode the bull, uh, market wave on that. And that, that was, it, it worked out. Um, but yeah, in terms of like creating content and, and, and trying to, yeah, I, I didn't really gravitate towards like the, oh, this is the next 100 X NFT. Um, I did maybe a couple of hyperbolic titles in the beginning, but then quickly found out that I was like, you know, this is a losing battle. You're, you're going to get the wrong sort of crowd that, uh, will move on as soon as like the space, 
no longer is providing those gains. They're just going to move on to whatever they were doing before. I don't know, sneaker, sneaker flipping, crypto trading. Um, and so I started to, to just focus more on, I guess, like the, the underlying concepts of what we're doing here. Uh, what does digital economy means, what it means to have decentralized assets as we're heading into like this fully virtual uh, kind of life that we're all going to have uh, and the importance of that. Um, and there are challenges with talking about NFTs. You know, there, the fact that everything is like a very small supply makes it very hard to talk about it uh, without having an influence on the actual price, which is going to anger people every single time. Uh, and so how do you how do you talk about individual projects without uh, pissing some people off, without you know being called a, a shiller or a fudder or whatever it is? Um, that I found very challenging, and I just sort of just stopped talking about NFTs specifically and just focused more on like, I guess the quote macro of the space. Uh, now I'm doing a newsletter where I do talk about uh, NFTs specifically, and so I am trying to figure out a way to dance around that. But it is a challenge that I think a lot of people face. Uh, and they, they'd rather just like not say anything. And as a result, that's why I think a lot of rugs and, and low quality stuff goes as far as it, as it does, because it, there's so much pushback whenever you, you, you talk about these, these projects. So that, that I think has been a big challenge. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting thing. I mean, we talk a lot about that idea of like honesty in the space and, and trying to figure out like how to how to criticize, but also not, not like, you know, come off as disingenuous and trying to come from a place of knowledge and, and make sure that you have a sense of it. I think also this goes back to why these small kind of group discords are so important now, because so much of, of the, the information you get has to kind of be filtered through, through someone, it, whether it's like a, a close friend or a group of close friends or multiple small discords that allow you to do it. I will say one of the things I really appreciate about the Midnight Labs discord is that it is a group of people who all seem thoughtful, right? Like, I think that we've all run into people who are not thoughtful. <laughs> we all have our, in fact, one of the funniest things is, you know, like there's a there's a, a PFT group uh, that probably people can guess that I'm part of, that when you go into that Discord, it feels very unthoughtful and it's just a lot of reaction. It's like reactivity and it's like, it's like, okay, I'm going to react to what's happening right now or I'm going to be a, a specific person I know just literally reacts like every 10 seconds to whatever's going on in the market. And You're like, we're going to guess what that PFP is, but that describes like 99% of PFP. Exactly. Discord. That doesn't give us any information. No, no. Well, I, you can't guess it, but everybody else in here probably can. But, okay. um, uh, but I think that the interesting thing about this is like, you know, one of, that's valuable, right? There is value in seeing like instant reaction because weirdly that's a part of this market too, right? Like you, we, as we were talking about before, there are all these people in this market who are like instant reactors and you have to be aware of what the psychology of that is. But ultimately, I think the real value comes from people who have spent time in the space who understand the kind of, not, not it's not even like macro trends. It's more just like the ebbs and flows of what of what this space is because of because of what you've known or what what's gone on. I think weirdly that the word I keep coming back to is and this is kind of sound kind of lame, but is wisdom, right? Like there's a there's a level of wisdom to people in Midnight Labs, and and I'll also say the people who I are in this group in Midcurve, which is a, a small Discord group that makes this podcast, and we've talked about here, but like. Wisdom is like underrated, right? Like, and I think that it's like one of those things where like, yes, alpha is important in understanding what's going on with the macro, but like wisdom feels like the kind of thing where you're, you've taken all this information and kind of can, can like dial it back and kind of get a sense of what's going on. Do you, do you think about that, Giancarlo, like in terms of like what, what information comes out and then like a filter that is put on it by experience? Yeah, I, I do. I, and, and like you said, you know, there, 
alpha is also important. There's people that do that way better than us uh, that are always like looking for the latest arbitrage and, and are on the cutting edge of, of, of all those things. Um, that to me has just never been as interesting, even though, you know, you, people have made a killing doing that over the past couple of years uh, or longer. But, you know, what I'm more interested in is sort of uh, the evolving meta trend of like decentralized uh, just memes um, and also meeting the people that are pushing that forward. And so like one of the things we're, we're focusing more on is like finding members that are building things of some, you know, even if it's like content or NFTs or whatever, just like, are you doing something as opposed to just kind of skimming on the sidelines? Um, and because I think network, uh, over the next few years is going to be also huge. One of the, one of the coolest things about the NFT space right now is that nobody's like famous, right? Like they might be famous within our little bubble, uh, but nobody's like too well known where they're where they're just going to be like stuck up and not and not talk to you uh, at least that that's been my experience and so you can rub shoulders with people that you sort of know are going to be a big deal and that are uh you know maybe geniuses in in, in some regard and and that are going to uh become way more famous than they are now uh but they're just hanging out in small discords uh and so that to me is a big focus like i just want to meet more people that are doing things um and that you know it is it's fulfilling just because you meet the coolest people in the space right now and, and the most creative but then also just it, from a uh career perspective it's just the smart thing to do i think as opposed to just like trading the the the, the shit coin of the day just meet the people who, who are going to make the big moves uh down the road because it is it is like an information-based uh economy as well uh and the asymmetry in information is often what leads to people having like these outsized returns and, and so that that to me is like in terms of alpha, that's like a long-term alpha play. Yeah, I think that's really smart. I think I think networks are often underestimated, right? I think that's a really smart take. And there's going to be a lot of these groups, right? Like, it's not like we have some, it's not like we're trying to dominate the market. There's no way you can dominate the market because of the nature of how small these groups can be or have to be. Uh, like, once you reach 500, 1,000 people, it starts to break down a bit and, and it's it's hard to keep that culture intact and... Already, some people have like complained. They're like, "Well, I can't read everything anymore." Where, where I used to be able to read everything, and we're still like at 150, 200 people, so we're still pretty small. And so I can already imagine that you know, at some point, maybe the, we we cut the supply from what we originally thought we were going to have. Because what's the point of having 2,000 people if it waters down everything? And so the nature of these groups having to be like less than say 500 people means that there's going to be a, a ton of them. Um, and I think we're all just going to have like it in our digital lives, we're just going to have several of these groups that are aligned with different interests that we have. And so I might have like my web three builder group. I might have like my LA, uh, what are we doing tonight group? Uh, and you're just going to have like a dozen of these and, and it's just going to be common for everyone to, to, to have that same structure, I think. Yep. I think that's very true. And I think one of the things, I mean, just from a personal standpoint, I can tell you right now is that like mid curve and midnight labs are kind of my two of my home bases in the space. And and I get different things out of each of them, right? Like with Midcurve, there's a lot of people in Midcurve that I've known for a long time. Also, as you've heard on this podcast, between Grant and and Salty and Eric are very much smarter minds than I when you look at the financial world. And then in Midnight Labs, what's kind of cool is like, it's a lot of people, I've also built projects in the space. It's a lot of people who I know have built projects and done things. And also like weirdly, you know, it's people like Cult Artists or Jay Club. Uh, I think that's how you could say his name, but both of which are like, in the world of me looking at dumb degenerate projects, right? And like getting a different opinion from those things. So it's like, 
you just, I think the biggest thing you can do is like expand out your circle of influence, right? Like with any sort of scenario, the more kind of like, the more signal to the better signal you can get when it comes to the signal to noise ratio, the better you're going to be set up. And I think that to me, the best signal right now is coming from these small groups. And I think that these exist on Telegram as well, too. You know, there's a couple people in mid curve who are in a couple big um, CT Telegram groups, and, and that's an interesting circle, um, depending on what you want to get out of it. But like, the, the more interesting thing to me is like, how do you up the level of signal to noise ratio? And I think it's it, it, the other thing I'll say is, Something I've thought recently is that it's probably worth not spending time in places where that isn't the case. And I think we've, we've, you know, a lot of people have thought about this is like, if the noise ratio is too high, you really have to start making a call for yourself, both for your own sanity, but also for like, what's, what are you getting out of it? Do you, do I need to spend my time here? Right? Like, and I think we're all in a world where time is, is finite. And I think that's a really interesting take on it as well. Mm. Um, uh, uh, what about, um, anybody else have something else for Giancarlo before we probably wrap up here? Uh, Giancarlo, when, when utility for Prometheans, I'm extremely underwater, please help. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I guess for people don't, that don't know, Prometheans was like this, I guess like open edition drop that I did, um, where, you know, the, if you, if anyone remembers the, the button on Reddit, you guys remember that anyone? Mm. Of course. Okay, so yeah, it's sort of like it was very inspired by by the button on, on Reddit, but like on chain. And so you have this timer, it goes down from 15 minutes to zero. And every time someone mints an NFT, it comes up back up to 15. And when it hits zero, the mint's over forever. So theoretically, it was like this unlimited mint. Um, and, it, and it ended up like a lot of people minted it. It got over 50,000, like I think 55,000 profile picks were minted over like three months or four months, where 24 seven around the clock, people were minting it every few minutes which is like insane. Like the first night when I went to bed, I was like, you know, I'm going to wake up and the thing's going to be dead uh, on the first day. Uh, but I just kept getting surprised every morning I would wake up and, and it was still there. But yeah, you know, I, I knew it, it, it's very different because it, it isn't relying on speculation. And I think 90% of people get that. But of course, you're going to have like 5%, 10% of people who are like, you know, it, it, they've been primed to think about NFTs as, as investment vehicles and, and this very specific thing. And so now I have like, reply guys every day just like when utility when are we going to burn these 50,000 you know it'd be a great idea if instead of 50,000 there were only 500 you have any plans for that uh but I, I kind of expected that that'd be the case yeah I, I actually love that this happened and I also it, it's a really interesting conversation around like what what use cases of NFTs are I mentioned this I think that last week on the show but there's that project McPepe's that just came out are, are you familiar with that Giancarlo did you see that I think I, yeah I looked at it briefly so McPepe's was this really interesting kind of like, I, I really dug it because it was AI art based, but the sent, ostensibly the idea was that they were creating an infinite amount of AI Pepe's, right? And that was the, from the get go, that was the storyline, blah, blah, blah. And they just capitulated this week and, and shut off the, the Genesis Mint at 42,000 or 40, 4690 or whatever, some sort of, some sort of meme number. But it's interesting because like, of course, you know, you get all this pressure to do this thing, even though like the idea of it was much more interesting as a purely infinite play, right? Except this is the problem you run into with situations like this where like, okay, who's buying in? How do you control who's buying in? Like you were very, very clear about what this project was from the beginning, but like when people see it, it's impossible for your words to carry into every single person's uh, ears as they look at this thing and they kind of do this thing. 
So I do think we're going to kind of end up in the world where we're going to have to like see these experiments get bought by people who don't understand them going forward still. And also it points to the pressures that, you know, if I was getting this kind of pressure just on, on even, even with the transparency that I gave around this project, you can imagine what any quote roadmap PFP founder, what kind of pressure they get to optimize for the short term, right? It's probably yep. insane. Yep. Uh, it, it seems like, Whenever you launch any kind of NFT, you're just like indebted for, for life now uh, to whoever bought in. Um, and any strategies that you might have that might produce some kind of long-term benefit, but, but takes time, is always going to be like deprioritized for something that is just going to get people off your back like this week. Like Jesus Christ, like here's a token. Here's a burn. Like leave me alone. Let me sleep. Uh, I imagine that's just yeah, like exactly. been... been the wave in the, in the space for, for so long that that's why a lot of these projects, they, they fail because they're, they're just really optimizing for these, these loud, this loud minority in discord and on Twitter, um, who are just in it just, and they're just going to flip it as soon as you give them the first catalyst and, and, and they're not loyal at all. Um, and so, yeah, I think we just have to sort of change our, our mindset, but it, it is tough because that is all you, you only see those types of people minting these projects. And so, you know, it's kind of like Momoguru Momo, Momo right now, you know, they, they're, uh, kind of declining because they, they fed into a lot of these groups, groups that, uh, are just these short-term traders. Um, and so I, I, I don't know, I, I don't know how this gets solved because you, you, you can't really optimize for the consumer that isn't here. Um, uh, that might be a more of a long-term thinker, but they're not minting projects right now. And so I, I, it's sort of a circular thing that's hard to get out of. Well, uh, as much as I agree with you that, you know, it's hard to talk about NFTs when, you know, there's 1K, 10K supply, the reality is we don't have enough people in the space to support, you know, all the blue chips or aspiring blue chips, right? And if someone like Momogoro, you know, is really feeding that narrative of, oh, like we're X Pixar, X Disney, we're going to make this game and make that and all that and charge, you know, 0.22 ETH times 9K supply in this market, like they deserve what's coming to them, right? Um, whereas, you know, if, if you're being a patient builder and a creator who's launching free projects, uh, like yourself, you know, that criticism is, is certainly less deserved in my opinion. Right. And I think the name of the game right now is, is patience, right? Because everyone, most people believe it's, you know, the end of the world, end of times, uh, and it's not right. Uh, things always bounce back and, you know, it won't be in the exact same form or structure, uh, but I think, you know, NFTs are here to stay. And it's just a matter of, uh, as we talked about earlier, uh, growing your network and figuring out what works. Yep, totally. I think, and I think um, uh, the patience key is key. Um, okay, let's, let's wrap up here. Um, Giancarlo, before we go, we always kind of uh, say something we're looking forward to in the course of this week. I know we have a weird week here. It's an insane question this week. Yes, <laughs> I know, I know. But here, I'm gonna play, I'm gonna pick something first, and you guys are welcome to pick something that's very specific to now, or you can pick something a little bit less. This is a, a kind of a bigger thing that I'm really interested in that happened um, at ETH Denver that I think we've talked a little bit about, but not that much about, but it continues to be more interesting to me. And this is kind of to Giancarlo's point. It was the announcement of that uh, ERC-4337. Uh, the standard has been kind of released into the world. Um, you know, it's it's a complicated thing, but I urge everybody listening to this to dig into it. The, the ability 
to do a whole lot more stuff with smart wallets is coming. And one of the more interesting things are a couple of interesting things I think that this allows is sponsorship uh, NFTs or, or, or crypto assets where you could have an ongoing kind of subscription. I'm oh, sorry, subscription sponsorships also the subscription is something that's really important to me. The idea that the subscription model has worked in uh, the Web2 world to really change the entire business model around uh, SaaS companies, around all sorts of other things, um, made a massive, massive difference in that space. I think that the idea that you could have a subscription model in this world could be really interesting. Um, also, I think it's really shitty a lot of times that projects that are doing interesting stuff get kind of like a one-time um, mint out cost and then have something else. This also could be a way around the royalties conversation. The other thing that's really interesting is sponsored. You can do sponsored mints, which means that like you could actually have free mints where the, the project founder would pay the gas, uh, as well. So there's all sorts of interesting things that are happening with this. Um, I think it's probably not getting enough attention for what it is. I really want to see when somebody comes out with uh, projects that have kind of integrated this in an interesting way. Oh, and also, by the way, the other thing about this is interesting is that like it talks about different ways to get recovery of your wallet. So, you know, this might be a way around um, the 12 word seed phrase that makes it a little bit easier for people to kind of recover assets. So I think in general, this is just we talk about the space moving forward. This really feels like a big thing to me. So I think that that's an important thing to kind of keep in mind. Um, Giancarlo, what are you looking forward to in like next week or so in this space? Um, so I've been getting into... A po what's called post photography, which is a, a form of AI that that is like, looks like photographs. <laughs> I, I don't know if there's a better way to describe them, but you know they they tend to be surreal or, or there's just something different about them um, from just normal real life. And this week there's a a pass coming out for that from uh, Fellowship, uh, and it's cool. it's just a, it's just a Dutch auction pass. Uh, I'll probably overspend on it. Um, you know AI art in general feels maybe a little toppy right now. Um, so I'll, 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 I'll buy the top, uh, but it is like this, this genre that I'm getting, uh, more into and, um, I'm just having fun. I'm having fun with it in a, in a time where there's not much else that's exciting in the space, I think. Yeah. What's the name of that guy? Is it, it's Rainier or something? The guy who was the most recent Braindrops, uh, drop. Rup Rainisto? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Life in the West. That's exactly right. Which are incredible. Everybody should go look at them. But like, I think that's a pretty good example of what you're talking about, right? Exactly. Yeah, I actually spoke to him yesterday for for the newsletter, uh, and he was like explaining to me how it actually is done, like in, in the back end. It's very interesting, um, and I think you know it, it it lends well to photography. Like like he was telling me that uh, as a photographer, some one thing you do is is you take like a million photos, you go back and you just kind of narrow and curate that down to a very small set from everything you took, and it's similar to what he does with these models, where he'll he'll do all these prompts. Uh, he'll, you know, train the model a certain way and then he'll go to bed, he'll wake up and there'll be like 15, 20,000, uh, images. And then his job as, as the artist is to really curate this down. And he said with, with the one that you mentioned, life in West America, he had 15,000 images that, that he then cu curated down to 500. Yeah. It's one of the things. So I've done an AI project as, as people in here may know about old men with white beards and I'm working on kind of a version of that as well. And one of the interesting things when you do AR is like it, a lot of it is prompting and people always think, well, it's about writing the prompts. And if you write the prompts, like it's not that hard to do. And it's like the hard part is the sheer amount of volume you have to 
to kind of go through to find the things you want. And it is interesting. Like I could do, I could do a whole series of podcasts on this, but I really believe the coming AI content boom is going to be much more about curation than it is about curation because creation is going to be much easier than it ever was before. That doesn't mean that creation is going to go away, but I think curation is going to be like a massive, massive part of it. So I think that's super interesting. I think, I think it's worth looking at. Um, okay. What about you, Eric? Anything else coming up this week you're looking forward to other than solvency or not? There's a new brain, uh, there's a new brain drops release or from a human um, that I think I'm looking forward to actually on the fence about whether or not we, we just pick up a pop can today to complete my day one set. Uh, and then, you know, obviously, uh, LACMA, the LACMA Cactoid uh, Gallery Mint is uh, for phase ones on Monday. Um, that has a lot of really cool artists that I'm, you know, excited to see. So, so really, you, they, they had some bumps in that mint process, but really excited to see how that one goes. Um, and then, you know, I think just, I, I'm kind of on a, a bit of a PFP break. I just didn't spend any more time kind of figuring out stuff on the art side, just because people are doing really interesting things. And I was really looking forward to the Claire's uh, show in, um, in Paris, but you know, that obviously went the way that it did. So it is kind of disappointing and it sucks that happened to her. Uh, but I, I don't really think it changes the trajectory of, of ARR you know, in, in, in general. I, I think this is... This year is going to be sort of a, a coming age moment for the for the medium. I'm, I'm hoping that a lot more of these artists, um, practitioners in 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 the ecosystem, get the due that they deserve. Yeah, I completely agree. It is a, a Claire is a in my mind a kind of shining light for both not only AIR but NFT artists, and and I think it's a bummer how that went down. I think she's really one of the better educators on AI art too. And one of the things as somebody who's done some AI art stuff is that. There's a lot of negativity in the world, not just in NFTs, obviously, but across the entire art spectrum around AI art, because there is this argument about like, what did you really do? And I think when you look at people like Claire or Life in the West, like you can tell there's actually like real significant work that's going in. And a huge part of AI art in general, I think, is educating people to the understanding that it, that it is that there is art. Um, OK, uh, what about you, Grant? What are you looking forward to this week? Uh, I don't don't have an answer you'll like. Uh, I think we're going to continue to see people panic, uh, blame creators, blame Blur, blame whoever they can without taking personal responsibility. You'd love to see it, obviously. Uh, and yeah, I think outside of JPEGs, it's kind of the end game for, for the markets here, yeah. right? Um, it's, it's time for the Fed to decide if they want to step in or let this ride and, and see how much more pain they they can cause without uh, other things breaking outside of this little tech bubble. Like I, I would wager a solid amount that, you know, Silicon Valley Bank isn't the only institution uh, in America or elsewhere in the world for that matter with a duration mismatch uh, in assets and liabilities that, you know, are going to come calling soon. Uh, so I, I do think this is the end game uh, in the coming weeks. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I, we didn't even get into this, but there's the conversation that's definitely going on about, and I think Grant, you even made me mention something around this, where like it may be up to the Fed now to like understand that this is a, a, a the hikes have to come back in order to kind of fix this in some ways. But um, it's going to be a fascinating thing to watch how that plays out um, just on a macro level. Um, okay, Salty, what about you? What, uh, what's, what's, uh, what are you looking forward to this week? Anything specific? Uh yeah, USDC repegging. 
<laughs> just kidding. That <laughs> well, wait a second. You said it's sense. not. It's, yeah, exactly. What are you talking about? You're the one who just explained the whole thing that it doesn't make sense. USDC recovering. Is that fair enough to say? Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I, well, USDC redemptions. That's all that matters. Price on chains irrelevant. Okay. It's just a yep. sweet arb if you can buy it for cheap and redeem it. So, yeah, I mean, of course, we're all looking forward to Monday to see what happens um, and how aggressively the government steps in to reassure. I, I mean, you know, it's an existential thing. It's like the, the government needs to keep us like from rioting in the streets and people from, you know, having nothing to lose. So a big part of that is is confidence that their money in the bank is there. So uh, I'm interested to see how that shapes up. Interested to see what the price of these stables shakes out to and how this helps boost the uh, the awareness of, of immutable stables and how those uh, projects go. And also, I'm interested to see, you know, what we see across like alts and even the major tokens um, as don't know come monday if people are going to be like cutting out of the space but um if liquidity give me out or yeah 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 like i don't know if people are just waiting or or people are you know going to bid the bottom or or the dips are going to keep coming but liquidity is draining out it's just going to be smaller and smaller chunks of the pie to fight over but i don't know i really can't guess as to if that'll happen or not also i i had to say to giancarlo too uh you were talking about your earlier youtube stuff and i i just you know, in, in mid-2021, man, you were the, the one person with, like, YouTube videos I could tolerate watching. You know, like, the like really the <laughs> lone it. voice in the wilderness. <laughs> Appreciate it. So that, even if you maybe didn't know everything you were doing at the time, I'm, uh, I'm grateful uh, you did what you did back then. It's good stuff. Thanks, man. Uh, that's awesome. Well, uh, we're going to wrap up here as a longer one, but it's so awesome to have. Giancarlo, thank you for joining us this week. We really appreciate it. Thank you it. guys for having me. Fun. Um, okay, everybody, we will see you next week. Um, hopefully, there will be a crypto industry. Hopefully, there'll be a financial industry that's left after uh, whatever happens in the next five to seven days. Uh, but thanks so much. We really appreciate it. And we will talk to you all soon. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.